Hello, Chris. What up, bro? How are we? Oh, you know, man, I'm feeling a little gassed, if I'm being honest with you. I think our our tennis, you know, I had the trainer, then we played tennis. I ran this morning. The heat, I think it's just taking a toll of my, my weak East Coast frame. Are you are you taking naps? Um, I, I have I, I can't really like nap nap, but I take a slight siesta. I call it a lay down. Um, Is that like fifteen minutes? Uh, yeah, I would say fifteen to twenty. I, I shut my eyes, but nothing really happens. But I, I do. I usually feel more groggy when I rise. But you know, what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do. I do a similar thing. I usually only have to do it when it's really really hot out. But I'll after I finish doing whatever outdoor fitness activity i'll hit the cold shower and then just kind of lay down for yeah like you said you know 15 20 minutes unclear if it's real sleep or not but you can kind of you can kind of get a little something going uh yes yes i'd like to get something going um i'm sorry i love i love when i get something going um (laughs) it's so rare though Otherwise, pretty good because Tory Lane's got arrested, and they they said that he's five foot two, one hundred twenty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, you know, obviously this is a tall kings only podcast, but mm. that would make me that would make me laugh, no matter what. So um, so so five two, that was that was the official height that was recorded you know by by the police department as an official height and that's not his that's not his hollywood height uh i'm unclear i mean this was on baller alert i believe so it could be it could <laughs> well, i mean you know, i was my, just saying because hopefully you know if if he if he said i'm five two that means he's actually you know touching closer to five a flat five if you if you factor in the two inch rule for hollywood heights Damn, he cannot be. He cannot be that short. That's fucked up. I, w- I was. I mean, Hollywood Heights is fresh on the mind because my girlfriend is doing a shoot or styling Adrian Brody for a shoot tomorrow. Who is, you know, basically her Whitney Port. I've learned, and <laughs> and the only uh, thing I could do, the only thing that came out of my mouth when when I was discussing it with her is, oh, you know, he's he's only. 5'11", right? He's not really 6'1". So he's so you're saying he he says he's 6'1", meaning he's Yeah, if you, if you Google Adrian Brody height, it says 6'1", but his you shoe, know what? his shoe size nine and a half. So you know what, Jason? I know you wear. What do you wear? A seventeen? That's right. Yeah, but you ain't got no Oscar. So I think it might even out, big dog. It, it, it's 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 not even at all. It is still very much in his favor. Um, uh, oh, hold on. You know, Jason, I didn't realize this. He actually is the youngest actor ever to win Best Actor. Really? Yes, he was 29 when he won for The Pianist. Holy shit! But but he does take an L because it was directed by Roman Polanski. So I, you know, I can't. Yo, facts don't matter, dog. Facts don't matter. This shit is really all over the place. Like I can't tell who's better. I mean, you know, I really can't. But that's yeah. Thank you for telling me that because that's that's good ammo to have in the war. And I'll be like, so you really? I mean, I just think it's funny that you support somebody who would work with Roman Polanski. (laughs) Exactly. 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 (laughs) I'm I'm here to make sure my king comes out on top. Um, thank you for all, that. 
at all, you know, in all arenas at all costs at every turn, you know. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that also our our discussion on on his height affected her wardrobe selections because I saw a a pair of uh, Bottega Veneta shoes that had they had quite the quite the heel height to them. <laughs> it was it's a it's a it's it's kind of like a Frankenstein shoe like it looks kind of like a low top like plain black leather doc martin maybe you've seen them before but it has like a frankenstein heel lift to them that maybe like robert de niro might wear in a movie not de niro to get a, uh, or was it which one was it from uh was it de niro or pacino where they they had like the bts photo of them when they were filming uh what was it it was what was the the three-hour movie that came out on netflix the Irishman? Yeah, I think it was from The Irishman where it had a BTS shot and and he's he's wearing his mafioso gear and and like some 5-inch platform heels like you might have if you have uh you know one leg longer than the other type shit. He's he's standing on a damn apple box. He's well, got he's got I the mean, Tom Cruise 11s on. Damn, I love that. I mean, what if I I actually you know, if it's a shoe, if it's a new Bottega shoe that has, if that's the look of it, then I think it's fine. I think when you're adding aftermarket parts, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, when you're, when you're adding the spoiler, uh, yeah, they didn't the have rims. to, they didn't have to add the, the kids footlocker atelier, um, <laughs> <laughs> booster. But also now that you said that, I think that's a great name for a short Kings dating app, calling it Apple box. Something to think about if you work in Damn. apps, if you work in tech. I know we have a lot of tech listeners here. We're we're big in the yay area. Um, yeah, big Silicon Valley. We have a we have a big shout out to all Silicon my shooters Valley. in Alameda and San Jose. <laughs> Everyone who is working hard on the front lines of user journeys and experiences. You guys are fucking killing it. You guys are killing it. And honestly, what would we do without apps? You know what I mean? Like during this during this downturn in society, what would we be doing without applications? we'd be i mean we definitely wouldn't I, be using uh slack to communicate with each other that's for damn right i i, I hate to think about it to be honest with you a, a, a pre-app world is not one that i want to live in yeah not my america um, <laughs> speaking of america and you being a, a newly born california resident uh, yeah were you just did you just see the news about what um your your boy uh Cuomo oh no put in there are 22 states in America um one of them get you know spoiler alert is California but these are considered hot spot states to him yeah so yeah. if you are traveling from one of those states to New York you have to fill out um a special form and paperwork you know like you're traveling to another country perhaps and then yeah. you are put on a 14 day quarantine yeah we'll see about that <laughs> what, <laughs> what is what do you mean we will see about that no i'm just i'm just kidding well i mean i've got a couple more weeks so you know things could who knows what will happen i feel like this stuff moves very quickly well the news was just announced today so you know in a couple weeks they should probably get everything up and running so they'll be able to implement all of those plans perfectly so your oh, your quarantine will be will be all set up and the logistics will be pretty turnkey for you for your uh, 14 day um sentencing 
I so just, I, I guess I live here now. But that was my next question. You know, does this does this change things? I mean, honestly, I don't even know, man. This shit's all trash. Are you gonna uh, go Lil B style and become a California boy? Uh, well, I mean, I I'm still, uh, you know, uh, happily paying an exorbitant amount of rent in an apartment I haven't been in since March once. <laughs> so, you know, it feels a little bad in that way, but also. I mean, California is, is, I don't know, it seems like it's bad, but also mm-hmm. it's not on a day-to-day basis. It you is, know? yeah, it, it, it is bad, but also fucking, I guess everywhere is also very bad. Well, except New York, but who knows if, who knows if, if, I mean, I think, I think all these guys are also just trying to flex as hard as they can um, mm-hmm. on, on whoever, especially California because they're big shit talkers and the only competition for New York. That's true. I mean, we learned shit talking from you, though. Uh, that's well, we're better at it. I would agree. You um, are. You are, and that's fine. I, I know. I know. I wonder. I wonder. I, that's my whole thing with this. I wonder how they can ensure that that somebody. I've always wondered that because, like, when they were doing it in Asia, it's like the government had. They put the tracking app on the phone. They come check mm-hmm. on you and shit. I don't think that will ever happen in America. Yeah. How? Well, I mean, at least not in the near present future it, uh, yeah but yeah how like, how will that be enforced yeah I, you know, that's do, what you I, know, because the amount of people coming into new york on a daily basis extremely high um and you know do you does, does the court assign a social services worker for every person entering new york that seems like an extreme uh I mean, that just seems costly to, to you know to say the least. But I, I mean, know. it's 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 positively impossible to enforce. Yes, yeah, that's that's what I would say. I mean, I also, I I don't I don't understand why. Can I just go get a test? Like, doesn't that make more sense? Um, that's a good point. I mean, I guess it really kind of depends on on who's asking because there is there is so much, you know that's still up in the air yeah maybe that you know maybe just getting a test isn't good enough because you know the test itself is still a little bit of a a question mark on its. yeah but that seems insane to me if you get if you have it i mean you know i i get that but also like if you show up with a negative test it's like fuck y'all kind of to me that that's like what more can you do besides have a negative test well i mean that would be that would that would make sense if the test itself was a a hundred percent sound you know, perfect test, which I don't think anybody is confident in saying. I don't, but I also, but does that mean that quarantining for two weeks is absolutely a hundred percent fixes it? Too? <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely. That's not. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like you guys got to give me a better option. Yeah. You got shit or, or a different shit. Those are your two options. Uh, I mean, you know, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Um, and speaking of crossing that bridge, when we come to it, we haven't even talked about squirrel jam yet. Um, and I'm sure we will. So I don't want our listeners to think that we're not going to, uh, to cover that. And I'm sure our guests will want to, will want that. Big, big jam is really, uh, I've never talked about a, a bread topping this much in my entire life. Um, but man, I love it. I gotta say, um, but I've also, you know, yeah, we can talk about it with our guests. I, I just think it's a, um, it's it's absolutely insane how big this got because it's very niche story. 
Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I would, I don't know if it's just because people are so online that it's like, like there's nothing to talk about. But I, I mean, you know, there's a few things to talk about that I can think of that are more important than a a hidden kitchen in a niche LA restaurant. Yeah, I mean, there there is a lot to unpack there. But yeah, th- I'm I'm sure this is a story that happens every day in all parts of our world and it does not even, you know, get a mention in the news whatsoever, let alone a nationwide, you know, top trending news story. I know. I, I blame the the canceled Bon Appetit. <laughs> the Bone Bros. Uh, the Bone Bros here again. Um our <laughs> guest today our guest today is uh Philip Picardi. Uh, he is a writer and editor. Um, he was, until fairly recently, the editor-in-chief of Out Magazine. Um, he's pretty well known for kind of being the the catalyst for turning Teen Vogue into a like must-read um, from mm-hmm. a political and, and kind of uh, cultural uh, arena. Mm-hmm. Um, he also has a new podcast that just came out last month, and he's a contributing writer for GQ as well, right? Yes, he's the he's the grooming editor at GQ. Uh, so I have a lot of questions. So that's I a love- that's a job. He's taking food out of your mouth, is what it sounds like, because that's a CB job right there. Yeah, it's on site. But he, he honestly, <laughs> he he look he looks more well groomed than me, and and uh, well, you know, he's got more he's got more of a canvas to work with. Exactly, and he's more accomplished, so therefore he can have it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like he deserves it. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, he I think he might have just moved to LA. Um, actually, um, he has a newsletter called fruity, uh, that I subscribed to where he wrote about leaving New York and it was actually some, it was good, but also there's some pretty funny stuff in there. Um, he was very upset with himself about wearing an Apple watch on the red carpet at the Met Gala, um, which is is something that TJ can relate to. Asterisk Um, adds to notes, asterisk. Um, all right, let's, let's give him a buzz. Hey. Hello, how are you? Welcome Hello. to the number one shirtless podcast on iTunes. <laughs> it's too hot. F- Philip, have you relocated to LA? Yeah, I'm in LA. Do you want to see my view from my apartment? Yeah, please. Wow, this is a full tour. Yeah, we're... Sure. Whoa. Oh, shit. Oh, damn. For, for the listeners, he's got the beach uh, in his purview. Um I can't tell. Is is the house a modern style? What are we talking about? No, this house is not modern. This is was built in 1921 or something. So mm. it is a hundred years old. What's the Addy? Uh, and where it you? definitely shows it. So what na- what neighborhood are you guys in? We live in Manhattan Beach. Interesting oh. choice. Was it, what? Why? Why Manhattan Beach? Um, sorry. Let me turn this around as I go into the bedroom. We chose Manhattan Beach because my um fiance is a doctor. He's an emergency medicine physician and he was recruited, um, by a hospital out here and it's in the South Bay. So, you know, one of his stipulations was you get to work from home and I have to commute. So I would like a commute that is, um, South of LAX, like a starting point that's South of LAX. So really it was Manhattan or Hermosa or Redondo. And Mm -hmm. we, it was just really hard to find a place. And this was honestly the, I think this was only the third place we looked at and we were like, okay, we're ready. Did you guys do it all like via FaceTime or did you just fly out here and spend a couple of days? We did it entirely via FaceTime. Um, so That's we had secured crazy. a place a month and a half before we moved. And then 
yeah. And then everything was, was moved across country. So it was, and so we were packed like, you know, while wearing masks and like, you know, keeping like shifts in the apartment of how many people could be in their packing. And it was, yeah. Furniture shopping was an absolute nightmare. Um, but you know, it all, it all kind of has, it's like, it's like, it's harder and it's more complicated and shipping is hard and all of that yeah. stuff. But then it also just feels like all of the puzzle pieces are moving anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just so grateful for like a really beautiful change of scenery and that everything happened safely and that neither of us has COVID even after flying across the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I, a great I outlook flew, on life. I agree. I mean, I flew here, but I keep telling people I find the airplane, one of the less busier places that I've been, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like definitely. I mean, it's still just like six hours of circulated air with strangers. So that was not, I mean, sure. I, <laughs> I, I feel like you are in the unfortunate position of, of knowing how the sausage is made being engaged to a doctor. That is definitely true. Like, <laughs> you know, but you know, one of the things that I, the comforts that I have, is they're not so much worried about the surface transmission these days as they are about the circulated air transmission. Does that make sense? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems more feasible for me, a non-doctor. Yeah. Um, you know yeah. What I mean? Like that kind of makes sense. I, we just talked about this, but before um, I have to go back to New York at some point because I live there and Cuomo just announced that if you're coming from California, you now have to quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's he's serious. Just, I get where he's coming from, you know? Uh, but I, what I was saying to Jason is like, but can I just take a test? Like, what's better? I don't even know. You know what I mean? I don't know what makes more sense. I guess it doesn't quite work like that, right? Because e- you could te- technically test negative, but then yeah. couldn't the virus, therefore, like, couldn't you have been exposed to the virus on the plane? Yeah, I'm sure. I, I feel like there's not really a good answer and people are just doing whatever they can, which I... I, you know, of course, that's what they have to do as leaders, you know, Um, but it is a very, it's a very interesting time. But even though California is worse, it also seems better. I don't know if you agree. I do agree. (laughs) When we first got out here, I was, it was remarkably, it felt so remarkably different. And a lot of that has to do with just the sheer, like people live in houses or, you know, there aren't as many high rises, certainly where, where we are. And people have cars, and so your commute is not shared with people, generally speaking. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely felt a little bit willy-nilly when we got here, I will say. Like, I remember <laughs> us landing and, like, walking down the street with our masks on and being one of the few couples wearing masks. Mm-hmm. And Darian going, oh, boy. Like, I just, he, he, you know, he was working in Queens before he got out here. Um, yeah. So he was in the epicenter of New York's epicenter, right? Shit. And then we got here and we kind of thought, oh, we're in the clear now. And like the worst is behind us. California's reopening. And then we were looking at those case rates and we were like, baby, rude awakening time. <laughs> yeah, that's ex- that's exactly how I feel. I came out here, I was trying to play tennis and eat at restaurants and now I can only play tennis. It's well, guys, it's starting to sound like everything in California was going well until both of you guys showed up. Oh, yeah, we're the problem, aren't we? Damn, that's a good point. I mean, that is a classic. I don't want to point fingers, but. Yeah, that's a classic problem with the New York imports, you know? Um, (laughs) Yes. Well, so are you you, um, working? So you're working from home, though, is what what you're saying. And that is the plan. So what have you been doing during quarantine? But I mean, the newsletter, I'm a subscriber. We talked about that. I really, first and foremost, I think we need to talk about your Leaving New York um, newsletter. Okay. Um, and I just, you're the, the, 
the part about wearing the Apple Watch on the red carpet really hit me. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, Why did that hate you? Chris, Do you wear an Apple Watch? <laughs> no, I, I refuse to wear one, but Jason is a big Apple Watch guy. Okay. All right, Jason. So, uh, so I'm an Apple Watch sympathizer, but Chris, I think Chris, oh, you know, over overarching theme of that is Chris needs you to sort of talk him into moving to L.A. because it's starting to become inevitable and... It's going to be hard for him because he's a lifelong New Yorker, you know? Yes. Um, listen, I, <laughs> as much as I love my Apple products, <laughs> I don't recommend wearing an Apple Watch. You don't it's, recommend wearing an Apple Watch? I, I stopped. Okay. Really? Because your body just got so good that you didn't need the statistics anymore? What's going on? <laughs> okay. I, first of all, I wish. No. I do <laughs> That is the only thing that I miss about it was that, like, after a workout, it is so satisfying to, mm-hmm. like, look at your rings being completed and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there is something m- practically just, like, manic and masochistic, maybe, about getting constant notifications on your wrist and on your phone and on your laptop. Like, yeah. at a certain point, I just felt like I was a notification receptacle. You're, you know? you're, you're too <laughs> sure. connected. I was definitely too connected. And at one point I was like, I was so overwhelmed because it was a really bad day at work. This was like when I first got the watch too. Mm -hmm. And it was a really bad day at work. There was some scandal happening. And I remember that I was like, like my, my watch was blowing up so bad and I felt myself getting short of breath. And then my watch was like, Hey, your blood rate's really high. And I was like, this this watch, you know what I mean? (laughs) Need right now is like a a, a validation that I'm having a panic attack. Um, Yeah. I I know. I know that exact sensation. Like when you're trying to concentrate on something and then like a group text where just like five people are just like sending like useless messages and photos and, and it just kind of sends you off into a spiral. I, I would yes. suggest putting it into do not disturb mode for an hour whenever that happens. That's what I always do. Yeah. The only appeal of it to me is the workout data. I think I would only wear it to exercise because it also allows you to not bring your phone with you, yes. which I think is is nice. That's really all I want it for. That's and a great hack. But I it's also I'm- pretty ugly and dorky, especially if you consider yourself a, you know, a fashionable person who is chic and stylish. It's a little contradictory to that. I, I know, and that's the struggle I'm dealing with. I, you know, it's something that keeps me up at night. You know, the world, the world is truly melting, and all I can think about is: is the Apple Watch chic for me or not? Right. I don't know. Does and <laughs> I why? Don't, I just don't know. <laughs> and the 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 Patek can't give me my heart rate, so I don't know what to do with that exactly. one. Exactly. When the Audemars the Audemars doesn't have any data, you know, I can't, I can't. It, it's not going to let me. It doesn't sync with my AirPods. Chris, you are. You know what I mean? A lot of people are going through a lot of struggles right now, but what you are suffering through right now is. Is paramount I, to that. This I know. It's like that scene in the Kardashians where Kim Kardashian lost her diamond earring in the ocean. <laughs> yes. And Kourtney Kardashian came out of her room and was like, Kim, there's people that are dying. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and and really, I want that. I, that is the best thing to illustrate that I am the Kim of this podcast and Jason is the Courtney. I'm the Chloe. Oh, I'm the Chloe. You're the well, Chloe. Yeah. He loves Chloe. He loves Chloe, but I don't even think, is it just from a personality standpoint, Jason, or is it also an attraction? Uh, I mean, I'm not really attracted to any of them, but I think that, bef- I mean, this, this is a year ago before. Wait a minute. Are you guys straight? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Both of us are straight. Oh, wow. Okay. You tweet like gay men. That's funny. <laughs> wow. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to us. I Definitely think. a compliment. I meant yeah. it as a compliment. 
Uh, yes, we are, we are both straight, and I only like Kendall Jenner, just for the record. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I think Got before it. Chloe had like her most recent line of work done, where it went like a little like a little extra cuckoo. I think on a good day, she could she became like the most sexually attractive Kardashian for me when wow. she when she kept it together. They are all so beautiful. I mean, it's it's really like it really is something to. Um, to watch um, uh, an entire like family mm-hmm. all go through their own self-imposed glow-ups. Mm. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's true. It's like dominoes falling. It really is. It, yeah. And at, on the one hand, you're like, I am, I'm so happy that they have the resources and the agency to do whatever they want with their bodies and that they do so, so unapologetically and they truly don't care mm-hmm. about any of the backlash that they receive for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on, on that, you know, end of things, I'm, I find it just, constantly amusing right because that is just <laughs> hilarious to me to, to to watch and it's like go ahead you know but then on the other hand i do remember like working at teen vogue at the time when kylie was was getting her lips done and you know kind of was saying like oh no it's my kylie lip kit that's doing this and <laughs> you know I'm to be like, how do we navigate this for an audience of teenage girls who think that like that overdrawing their lips to absurd amounts is going to make them look like Kylie Jenner because it's false advertising. And, but yep. it's like also like you want to accept her at her word and you don't want to like critique her and make it look like your plastic surgery shaming her mm-hmm. and like everyone should do it the way they want with their bodies. It was a very delicate line. I've actually, yeah. I've actually never thought about, I mean, I can't even imagine the impact of, of like the popularity, the rise of plastic surgery on teenage girls at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, And, and, and you know, too, like I do think about that rise on young men also, you know, like gay men, um, you know, rather infamously suffer from a very high percentage of, of body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. high, high percentage relative to, you know, our, our whatever perceived population size, I guess. I'm not sure about the exact statistics, but it, it is a well-known and well-documented thing. Yeah. So, and, do, so do Chris and I, which kind of further solidifies your earlier point about our, t- our tweeting really? habits. Yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, I was a, I was a fat teen, so, and now I'm an exercise freak. So I think it all tracks. You know do you what think I mean? you're overcompensating? Um, well, I think it also falls into sobriety, which is another classic like exercise thing. So I think it all combines into, um, I think it's good for me most of the time, but I would say I'm de- I overdo it from time to time as well. You mean that you, you basically have, are you, are you insinuating that you sort of replaced, um, whatever your addiction of choice was with exercise? A hundred percent. Okay. Yes, okay. and I obviously that is better than taking OxyContin every day. No one could argue mm-hmm. that, but there's yep. still issues that come with it. But I do think it could all stem from being a a overweight youth. You know what I mean? In some and way. It's, and, and was it about being overweight, or was it about how people treated you because you were overweight? Mm. Actually, I I have a funny thing about this because I was of course made fun of because that's what kids do, but. I think it made me pretty resilient and gave me like a sense of humor that I might not have if if mm-hmm. I would have been hot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you <laughs> so, think there was a pro and a con to your experience? A hundred percent a pro and a con, and I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't have it in your way. It's fine for me. If like, you're, if you're able to weather the storm and make it out the other side, you become a, a hardened person in terms of sense of humor and ability to you know let things roll off your back like like a wet Mm. seal but i think what we're seeing and this is what jason actually and i we were talking about this yesterday um you know kids now they can't escape because of social media when i went home it was over 
You know what I mean? Mm, like when, right. when you when you leave school, when you're you know in the '90s, it's kind of over. Now I think it follows you everywhere you go, which is the mm-hmm. ultimate. I mean, that's inescapable. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It it always felt like that. That was one of the things we were always trying to tackle at Teen Vogue. Certainly, was talking about mental health and how you form your own opinion of yourself. And then, you know, it was it was then like a double. Like I said, everything that became a double edged sword. We would talk about body positivity, but then like brands would talk about body positivity, and then it body positivity became something that it was not really initially intended to be and then that became kind of watered down and then it became its own body ideal and it was it was always you know this whole identity moment of um or or how identity is manipulated corporations and capitalism has 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 been something bizarre and fascinating and disheartening to observe certainly now that i'm outside of to a to a certain point i'm outside of media i'm no longer in like a position of power within the media industry it is i can see things a lot more clearly like i wish i could have seen those things as they were unraveling but i guess that's what mm. you know experience does but i i do think that that's what i've been just so interesting during this the the, the black lives matter movement and and what's going on in general people just seem to expect a lot from corporations which is very surprising to me like, I don't I, I don't think we can put much faith or stock in how a corporation talks about something because I think they obviously have a bottom line that they're concerned with um, versus just doing the right thing. Um, but, but making your bottom line is, is no longer good enough in a world where there's so many other things and people who are in need. No, no, you're like right. our you're like right. our Mother Earth, you know. That's true. Right, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of corporations have to come to grips with the fact that people are shopping their values and mm-hmm. that if they didn't, you know, take the care to diversify their newsrooms in there, uh, who is in a distinct capacity within their organizations and their marketing departments and mm-hmm. their casting and their creative decisions, that ultimately there was always going to be a backlash. You know, we can't have a bunch of white-led corporations and a bunch of white-led brands that are dictating what culture is because these brands have never dictated what culture is. They saw culture happening predominantly on black and brown people who were making that culture and then they were ripping it off. And I think that really that that whole moment was not necessarily about wanting corporations to do better. It was just like, how much do we have to give you before you are even comfortable saying the words that our lives matter? And mm, I think yeah. I think that that was the the bare minimum that they could do. And and to be frank, it's like put your money where your damn mouth is. Like it's it it you know, call it reparations, don't call it reparations, whatever you want. But mm-hmm. the point is that um you these brands have to give back because they've stolen so much. Mm. And they have to want to do it, not do it because they have to do it because of public pressure. Yeah. And you can, because you can easily tell the difference between a company that's doing it because they want to versus have to. Sure. But then again, I also hear Chris's point where it's like, I don't necessarily need a forward statement from every single brand that goes into the ins and outs of white supremacy and you know, how we condemn and don't condemn and, and condone and don't condone certain things, right? Like, I don't yeah. expect, you know, brands to be our social justice leader. However, I do expect action from them, right? And I, and I think that's the important thing. It's like, I would like you to do more than post something on your Instagram. And ideally, those things would have to do with looking internally at how to make your corporation and the makeup and composition of your corporation better, um, and how you're empowering um, different types of leaders in order to make a broader impact. Well, I think that is also the part that, to me, is is very hard 
to view as perf- as performative. You know what I mean? If you're hiring people at a, at a high level um, and giving those opportunities, that's not a photo shoot. You know what I mean? That's something that affects it like from the top down in a bigger way. Um, and I do think that's harder to do and it requires more effort. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And I certainly have seen that through pride campaigns. Um, I mean, pride is, is also been co-opted, I think, and pretty badly. Would you agree? I would agree. Yes, I would. And I say that as someone who's been in many a pride campaign for many a brand, um, and some of them are better than others, and some of them do do good and do material good and have given people platforms and work. And, it, and that was another one of the parts of this. Like when I talk about this double-edged sword, yeah. you know, at what one point during when we realized that Pride was going to be canceled and that the corporations were all rolling back Pride because there was no parade for them to put their float in, right? Mm-hmm. And there was, and it felt tone deaf to all of a sudden sell merchandise with the rainbow slapped on it. That also Mm -hmm. meant that a lot of my friends stopped getting checks that they were counting on for the rest of the year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like a lot of that money that goes to, that is the only time in the year that many of us in the community hear from these major fashion brands or these major hospitality brands or these Mm -hmm. major liquor brands. Right. And that is a check. And so it sucks that. That's that's your bread and butter where you, where you're banking on. Yeah, that's your Coachella. If you were a EDM artist, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, God help me if I was an EDM artist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that is a um, that that is an issue for sure, and we all see it. I mean, I think somebody was like showing where, like, as the days as the month changed, like all the Instagram avatars like lost the rainbow with like within like at like twelve oh one a.m. Which was pretty funny, like that, that it's that, but it's also like that's how these like that's how a lot of stuff works with these companies, regardless of what it is. But it's funny when you put a microscope on it and like show how it actually works. For sure, yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. And and explaining to you know white male executives that Pride is a twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five opportunity has been particularly challenging it is something that i've done for the past three years i was about to say i feel Um, like that's your full-time job (laughs) i have had a very i've had very colorful conversations um (laughs) none of them ended the way that i wanted them to Mm. um but yeah but you know you do learn i I mean like eventually that like some people are just not worth fighting for and you're better off encouraging your followers to take their money elsewhere um, or just, you know, whatever money you were going to spend on a pride campaign or those, that new pair of pride shoes or whatever it is, donate it instead to many of the black LGBTQ led organizations like the Ochre project or the trans justice funding project. Um, two of which are, are, incre- are doing incredible work. I don't, I, I'm surprised that even if you're a 50 year old white man at a corporation, you don't understand the importance of it, but also like th- it's a valuable community to have as a customer. You know what I mean? From a strictly business standpoint, even, I don't know. Sure. I, I don't I, Why would you want to leave that on the table? Like, why would you, you know, I guess, I guess the idea is you're mm. afraid of alienating someone else. Is that what you think the issue is? Yeah, there's definitely a fear. And then there's also the idea that the company doesn't want to be perceived as a gay company. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of companies who were early to the pride, um, sort of pride capitalism have since distanced themselves from pride because they were then perceived as being LGBTQ adjacent, which could alienate 
a straight male consumer, an mm-hmm. older consumer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's all there's all of those things to contend with, and very few companies are willing to actually put their money where their mouths are and just say fuck it, let's do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, like I think. And and I have to say I'm completely biased. This is a Nike household. I am a Nike family. My my partner and I are always <laughs> hell yeah, Nike. hell yeah. This is a Nike podcast too. I, I rock <laughs> mm-hmm. with that. I understand. But you know, when they ran that Colin Kaepernick ad, I was like, of course they would. You know, and the work that they're doing with Nike women and and including like including all types of women in their marketing and understanding that Nike women is not just about a limited definition of a woman and understanding that pride is not just about casting LGBTQ people and then casting them away, but it's like bringing athletes on contract and sponsoring them and showing up for them and introducing them to the press and like making it an Mm -hmm. integrated and organic part of your marketing efforts is like, it's just like, I, it is very rare that I get to see that kind of commitment to the work. And obviously Nike has all of the resources to make those things happen. So I know Mm. it's hard for smaller companies. So like definitely want to acknowledge that, but I do think it is a good and and sustained testament to, to doing the right kind of work. I mean, I, I honestly, with everything that's happening, I, I forget about the Kaepernick thing and how big of a deal that was. Like that's, that was a very insane big statement for them to make at the time. Yeah, it was. I, I, and, and also like, the biggest thing that I, I always tell companies is like, how many of these people who are so-called boycotting your products actually bought them in the first place? Because at Teen Vogue, when I fielded like emails after we would publish like a nasty story about Nancy Reagan or like something, <laughs> about, you know, I would get, I got all of the hate mail because I, my, the webmaster at teenvogue.com email forwarded to my email account. And so I would get all of them and it was like, I'm unsubscribing. My daughters will never read your publication again. And so like a few times, like I would forward it to circulation, like consumer marketing and be like, Hey, did this person actually unsubscribe? And they were like, there's no subscription available for this (laughs) consumer. So it's like, how many of these people actually matter or like are just purely making noise on social media because they're fools, you know? So anyways, that's actually good data to have though. Cause like Under Armour can have them. You know what I'm saying? Well, slow down. You let, let, let UA. Bro, is that a shot fire at Under Armour? I Yo, yeah, UA is is making a lot of strides to do better, Chris. Are they? No, no, that was just a joke. <laughs> okay. No, I think they they might be making strides to like make better products, but I, it ain't gonna work on me. I, I know. mean, Got you it. Know. <laughs> like like Philip, this is a Nike household, so I, I don't. I agree. I don't, I don't, I don't see, know anything I, about I, Under Armour. Well, it's they've tried a lot um, okay. in, in different ways to be relevant, and the only I think the only success they ever had was that Steph Curry shoe and that the basketball shoe, and that didn't really last that long. No, they are, they think. were a massive success. Under Armour, I think, is like top three shoe company in the world, or I mean, oh, no, like no. like activewear company, or whatever. Yes, no, they definitely were. I'm saying made strides to try to be cool. Is, is oh, what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, oh. No, they're definitely. You know what? Shout out to my fitness pal because Ooh. that is an Under Armour owned app, and that is my only experience <laughs> with Under Armour that I have. What does what is my fit? I mean, I've heard of it before, but is it just like a tr- data? I am trying to gain some mass, as heterosexual men like to say. And first of all, how would how would gay men say that? <laughs> yeah. um, I'm trying to look hot in a speedo. I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're trying to. Would, it's bulking season. 
it is bulking season in the summer. I, I'm doing it all backwards, I guess. I don't really even care. I'm, no one is seeing me except for my fiance, and and he's the, whatever. We've been through it all. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and so I have to I have to track how many grams of protein I have per day. And per day. my fitness pal makes it very easy for me to do that. What's our protein goal for the day? Two hundred grams. Mm. It is. I, it is. Know, is this a clean bulk or a dirty bulk season for it you? It is a clean bulk. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. We were going to have an intervention if you said it was a dirty How, how much you of your protein is derived from food versus supplements? Um, 60-40 right now. I'm, I'm still getting used to it. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. I mean, it's, I've never eaten this much conscientiously in my life. Mm. I, I, as the person who's trying to look wispy at all times, <laughs> the idea of bulking is very hard for me to wrap my mind around. But it's something that I hear about a lot from my, my friends, you know. As as part of the workout process, I love that you try to look wispy, Chris. That's so um, interesting. Well, I've romanticized. Can you say the word that you meant to say instead of interesting, please? <laughs> <laughs> I look. I've romanticized the '90s and the heroin chic look. And if I can't get it from heroin, I'm going to get it from running mm. and not eating that much. I guess. I guess you're allowed to say that since you're re- like in recovery, right? Is that yeah. the jokes you're allowed to say? I Got mean. It. I don't. <laughs> I, I think that that era was just the chicest era. I think people look the best. Unfortunately, that's what I like personally. You know, you I know what think- ninety the nineties really was something. Like mm-hmm. someone did a whole mood board of like Aaliyah the other day, and I was just gagged. I was like, this <laughs> this all could come out today. This could be like uh, if a pop star came out where looking like this today, mm-hmm. she would be on top of the world. Yeah. And I think there are some trying to emulate, but it's not hitting the same. You know what I mean? I no, think Aaliyah, yeah. I think Aaliyah is considered like a benchmark of of style. Especially you don't like the like way a, Billie Eilish is dressing lately, Chris? I actually don't understand the <laughs> Billie Eilish look a hundred percent. I, I don't oh, I, th- I think it's cute. <laughs> well, I, I think nobody else is doing it. So I like that it's original. Yeah. Like I, I, I appreciate it's also I think a body image thing for her is like, look, I don't want to wear like skin tight clothes like that doesn't make me comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think like all of her print Gucci is for me. It doesn't it doesn't have to do with the it doesn't have to do with the fit even. Mm-hmm. Um, she wears a lot of all over print Gucci. I've only seen her in like a lot of black hoodies. She'll wear like, yeah, I think I, I feel like I can picture a look of her wearing like super oversized, like Gucci print shirt and pants or she, something. She'll like wear a lot show. of black hoodies, but they'll have like spray paint neon green dollar signs on them. That's yes. thing. Yeah. I, I like, I, listen, to have a, a star who is that young and that big not be the cookie cutter pop girl true, is true. so cool. Um, what, what I, do you, I'm not a fan of the music personally. It's not my thing, but like I fully am a fan of hers, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've come around on her. I think the music at some points is like undeniably like a hit. I'm not going to listen to it, but I think that for like as a role model and like young person, I think she's like pretty interesting. I think it's, um, it's, it's very now more than ever, you're able to separate those two things and like somebody, the idea of somebody as a person without really enjoying their music. I feel the same way about like Tyler, the creator, for example, you know, I think he's a good yeah. person to have around, but I don't really, I don't hate his music, but I don't listen to it either. Yeah. No, I, he's I, so handsome. Oh yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, he's handsome. Tyler. He's, Hive. he's very well dressed too. Um, I, I, I think Ugh. it's, He's really grown into it. I think he. I think he actually. I've heard he has a man though. So calm down. Oh, does he? Well, I have a man too. And listen, don't tell me what to do with my body. Do we have a? Do we have an open relationship over there, Phil? Um, 
I do not comment on matters of That's my fair. sexual predilections, yeah. specifically not with heterosexual men. Mm-hmm. So ah. if you have something you would like to reveal, then I would be happy to well, reveal more. Well, Phil, I think oh. as, heteros- as, as heterosexual men, I think we're just, we're, we're, you know, a little bit fascinated with the, the prevalence of the open relationship in the, in the, I don't, in the- I don't have an open relationship, but my girl, Same. my girlfriend has made a joke or two about it to the point where, <laughs> where who knows, who knows? <laughs> You know, um, I, I hate to tell you, that mm-hmm. is always how it starts. <laughs> Damn. Damn, that says a lot without saying enough. I yeah. think, um, well, Jason also is going through it this week because his, his girlfriend is styling Adrian Brody. Mm-hmm. Um, which oh, is wow. That's a, cool. Apparently a, a grail for her, if you will. Mm-hmm. A, a, a top yeah. three. So do you think he should be worried or do you think Adrian Brody's like a little wash these days? Adrian Brody. I don't think I would call him washed. He, there is something undeniably sexy about Adrian. I can't even put my finger on it. He he doesn't fit any of the things that like I normally like would say that I'm attracted to in a man. He just is sexy. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree as well. I don't, I think sometimes it might be talent is, is part of it. I would say. Um, which Jason has very little of, obviously. So he's gonna Adrian's oh, gonna win. Adrian's wow. gonna <laughs> Is this how you guys talk to each other all the time? Nonstop. Uh, not all the time. We're pretty Do I you mean, guys tell each other that you love each other? N- no, but I think we should, maybe. Do, do you think it I, would now. Have, I think we've said th- it before. We've we've absolutely <laughs> right said it before. Jason, I, w- I, J- I love you, Jason. I love you, Chris. Ugh, wow. So <laughs> <laughs> Look at the growth. Wow, this is what we needed. I think yes. that um well, what other what other celebrities do you like right now? I would love to talk celebs with you. What celebrities do I like right <laughs> now? Oh, God. This is a hard-hitting thought, pod, I thought, Phil. I thought Chromatica was a little overrated, to be honest. Um, that is sacrilege. You cannot say that in front of a faggot. I swear to God. I, I find out where you are in California. I will beat your scrawny ass. I honestly... I, <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will sit on you. I, I honestly sit on you. I, I, I honestly um, just said that to rally you up. I thought the record was pretty good, uh, but I knew that so that was good. a divisive way to come after you. Okay, the only celebrity I really want to talk about at this moment is Charlize Theron. Have you guys seen The Old Guard? No. No. Okay, that's also homophobic. So many things I'm learning about you today. <laughs> not only are you not gay, but you hate gay people. Okay, so Charlize Theron is in this movie called The Old Guard. It mm-hmm. is the first comic book movie to ever be directed by a black woman, by the way. Mm-hmm. And The Old Guard is essentially like the premise is that she is part of a very small army of mercenaries okay. um, who are immortals. And that is all I can tell you. I love Charlize Theron because she does her own stunts. I'm not sure if you've ever seen Mad Max Fury Road or if you've mm-hmm. seen Atomic Blonde. Charlize Theron literally kicks ass herself. It is her doing it. Mm-hmm. She does all her own weaponry. She does her own combat. I mean, the woman is incredible. She is incredible. Damn. Well, look, no one, no, uh, we're pro Charlize. I really love that movie with her and Seth Rogen. Also, but, she uh, uh, also she plays uh, ugly really well for how beautiful of a person she is. That's true. That's real chops. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Like, the range. Uh, the range that she has. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a tough sell to get us to watch a comic, comic book, book inspired that's, film. That's where I'm having a hard time. As much as we love um, female directors um, who are black. Doesn't sound like you love female directors enough. <laughs> uh, 
Look, uh, can I just four female actresses for that matter. So no, do not do not, not go there. Look, do not go there. I love female actresses, and I take offense to that. I, That's I, where I, I draw the line. Uh, well, whereas I personally, I never watch a film that has a female in it. It's fucking yeah. bullshit. <laughs> Jason, Jason only watches all male movies. Yeah. you just watch good porn. That's yeah, I was about to say, Jason. I can. I'm sure Phil has some titles he could recommend for you. Look, a, wo- um, a woman can work on the film, but not in front of the camera. Come on. Uh, yeah, let's, we, we got to draw the line somewhere. Uh, is that where is that available to watch? Is that it streaming is on Netflix? Oh, okay. Well, we, we I mean, love it's there. It's there for the taking. But you know, I'm having a hard time watching. I, I don't have a TV where I'm staying right now, and I'm, I, I can't watch it on the laptop. I'm too grown. I hear that. I really, really hear that. Actually, I can't do it. So it's, it's, it's giving. It's challenging. But so that that's your number. Is that your number one quarantine entertainment pick? Oh, I think so. I really really enjoyed it by the way kiki lane is also in it mm. and she kicks ass in it too she plays a marine there's mm. a gay couple in it who um their powers are only activated when they are together um and they kill a bunch of guards who make fun of them for being gay um which was like a very redemptive moment there's a mark mm-hmm. zuckerberg character who dies a brutal death which was extremely <laughs> redemptive for me also. Um, and yeah just like so really there's a lot of there's a lot of justice porn being sewed into this script I think that's why I'm so into it, isn't it? Right? Like, it, yeah. it, I really felt like I couldn't go to bed after I watched it. I was like too, like, activated. The highlights <laughs> you're telling me are appealing, I have to say. Like, yeah. I, that's, I mean, it sounded pretty good so far, but I, I it's can't. Good. I, it's I have, good. I have to be honest with you, I've never even heard of it until right now. Yeah, that's, be- you know what? I already forgot what it was called. <laughs> the Old Guard. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Now it's in it's, there. Don't don't erase gay culture on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I just I I can't. There's so much stuff. Co- I just feel like there's so much stuff to watch. You know what I mean? And I, all I want to watch is is uh, like videos in the Daily Mail of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I am absolutely transfixed with the shit that is going on with those two. I cannot get enough. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, you know what? I actually have not followed that storyline in a minute. Good well, you. let me just say something to you. If you're going to force me to watch a Charlize Theron comic book movie, I'm going to say log on to the problematic Daily Mail and just do a little click and surf. I cannot <laughs> give clicks to a Murdoch-owned enterprise, but I will refresh myself. I, I will say um, that I I... That whole thing is just a harrowing story, and I hope that Amber Heard is okay and that things are are reaching. Well, that's the, but that's what's that, that's and what's we coming. hope that Johnny Depp is okay. That's the, what's coming out though is that it's it's wild. They're both so wild. I think that's what's so crazy about. It. She put a cigarette out on him and shit. It's really going there. Hey, some guys oh. like that, Chris. Yeah, that's true. Right, and uh, these things always get so complicated too because, like, what was? Yeah, I mean, listen. Physical, let's just say this. We don't condone physical violence of any kind, regardless of what partner in the relationship is perpetrating it, mm-hmm. um, unless it is consensual. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. So when Jason puts cigarettes out on me and I like it, that's fine. I think so. Okay, I just want to make if, sure. If it's fine for you, it's fine for me. Well, I prefer, yeah, I like I like it a natural American spirit. I'm not really into it when it's like a menthol, but that's, I mean, that's fine. That's oh that's like wow, a, separate, that's a specific a, brand name. Somehow I thought we were joking, but now I'm. I'm not joking. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're Phil, are you a are you a cig are you a cig smoker, Phil? I am not. No, I've never smoked a cigarette. Good for you. you wow, I'm. I what mean, what you, are your vices then? Um, masturbation. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> do do you not drink? 
No, I do drink. Has oh, has okay. has jacking off increased? Has you moved to California or has it gone down? No. no. You know, it's always a very steady flow. That was a very high pitched no, by the way. Yeah, very high pitched. Yeah, that was a soprano no. Um, have you, you know, I used to, back in the day, Phil, I worked with a brand called Tinga. Are you familiar with that product? I am very intimately familiar with Tinga. <laughs> It's a pretty great product, right? I, I just wrote a story for, for no, just I wrote a story for GQ a couple of months ago about um like basically like how people are are horny online since quarantine. Mm-hmm. And Tenga sent me this gigantic box of products. It was so big, I was embarrassed. Was nothing, nothing send us crazy. the the Tenga unboxing vid. Nothing I shut, is I shut up. Nothing is crazier than stuffing your dick into a Keith Herring shaped shampoo bottle. <laughs> it's <laughs> Okay, so there is, okay, now that we, you took it there, there is a motorized <laughs> Tenga that I would just say I was very skeptical about. It is worth every goddamn penny, my friend. Really? Yes, yes. I think it's maybe $200. Um, I think it, male sex toys are, are underappreciated, and I think they're not represented enough in our culture. Is that, that's a hill you want to die on? No, 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 no. It's it. not, I don't want to die there. I'm just, you know, if we're, if we're talking about things being, you know, underrepresented, I want to stand up. It's, for, it's sure it's not at the top of the priority list, but it's definitely up there for Chris. Yeah. It's Got something it. to so think you about. You won't watch a women, a, a movie directed by a black woman, but you will stand up for Jack off toys. That I is correct. I understand your values. I'm not going to allow, I'm, I'm glad you understand. You to get away with that clean audio, but, <laughs> but I see that you're, I see what you're trying to do to me and I'm not going to fucking stand for it. Wow. Oh, here here he goes. I've gotten you riled up a couple of times, Chris. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Uh, the But the Tenga is an incredible product. And really, I guess when I was do, working on it, it was a long time ago. And it wasn't really in America yet because it was so big in Japan. It was like a multi-million dollar business in Japan. I believe it. I Yeah, I actually think they shipped it from Japan. If I'm not yeah, no, no, I know, well, I know, Chris, I since you have a relationship with them already, maybe it's about time we get them uh, on as a podcast sponsor. Yes, you want me to share the love? That'd be mm-hmm. a great podcast sponsor for us, I think. Should I, I have them sponsor my podcast about God? Yes. Yeah, I... Are you talking about Unholier Than Thou? Yes, Unholier Than Thou. That could be... It's brought to you by Tenga. Sounds kind of amazing. Do you have a sponsor now? Yes, we have... I mean, it's it's through Crooked Media. Crooked is yeah. a well-run machine. You know what I mean? John mm-hmm. Levitt does not mess around. Mm-hmm. So, do you, so do you just lay tape and send it off and they po- do everything for you? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I have to do a lot of, you know, research with the producers sure, and script sure, writing, sure, sure. of course. But yeah, I mean, right now we can't go in any studios. So it's just, it's all from home with some very intense audio equipment that I keep in my apartment now. Uh, mm. Have you enjoyed the process so far? I have enjoyed the process. It's also been like uniquely challenging. It is very hard to be in a field where you consider yourself very talented and good at what you do. And then go into a different format, i.e., you know, print magazine and digital media into audio and be like a novice. And so it has been humbling and refreshing and challenging, also frustrating. You know, like COVID delayed the launch of the podcast. This thing was supposed to launch in March, you know, and it just was Mm. like never the right time. Um, And so anyways, I'm glad that it's out in the world. I'm glad that it's like podcasting is such a nimble format that you can continue to pivot. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that we like are able to just like continue to experiment. And that was just not something that I ever felt in, in digital media, to be honest. So mm-hmm. that was nice. Yeah. It seems like um, on your podcast, you, you, you do a good job of kind of having like the, that writer's narrative, like the written word kind of scripted and then turned into an audio format. So I think, I think you do a good job with it so far. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad that you're listening. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what um 
how long is it going to go on? Is it like a is it like an episodic? Like, do you have a deal for a certain amount, or are you just going to do it until the wheels fall off? I I believe we're doing it until the de- until the wheels fall off, or until I fall out of favor with Crooked Media. So whichever happens first. Well, <laughs> uh, you'll fall out of favor. I'm sure you'll do something. Uh, <laughs> well, on the on the show on the show, you talk a lot about uh, apocalypses. Do you uh, do you have a little bit of a fascination with the apocalypse? I don't. I don't. I, I never thought the world was ending. I always thought it was a lot of bullshit and, and that we kind of needed to, like, as Cher once said, snap out of it. But I think that <laughs> a lot that. of people are talking about the end of the world, like, because, you know, this terrible thing has finally happened to America. It must be the end of the world mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And I just mm. always found that to be um, a little maybe misguided. And I kind of wanted to point people in the right direction. But it, mm-hmm. it is, I will say, the evidence for the apocalypse between like the plague of locusts and the bubonic plague and this pandemic is, is, and Trump is pretty compelling. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to talk to some scholars about it and what they thought about it. It's plausible. I've always had a little bit of a fascination with, I I thought it would be cool for if whenever the world ends for it to happen when I was alive, just so I could see it. I guess that's a little selfish. Yeah, TJ gets a little dark, you know. He's, he's, a, he's a dark <laughs> well, guy. Well, I mean, at, at a certain point, our, our Earth is going to die and everyone on it will die. You know, it, that's that's the, the true grand finale. Well, All no, right. Wow, well, that was great. If I'm, at, <laughs> if, if, I'm at, if I'm at Erewhon still waiting on my order and the world ends, I guess I'll be fine, happy. I mean, I want, I want to be old. I want to have lived my full life before everyone else perishes. But you, know. I have no you want the apocalypse to happen on your terms. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> right. The world entitled... literally revolves around you. The world exactly. has around you now, Look, too. I'm saying if you thought this Charlize Theron movie was good, wait till you check out the full end of the world. <laughs> IRL. Are you? I guess there's no sequel to that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Not yet. Were you? Were you raised? You you were raised Catholic. I was like strict, strict, or like. You know what? I culturally, I, it's hard to find strict Catholicism because my dad was like in very dogmatic. But, like, it's not like we were in church every day. Do you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Like, it was like we were expected to go to church with him every Sunday. Oftentimes, I would be able to get out of it by, like, crying and telling my mom that he, I hated my dad or whatever. But, like, you know, we would – I one time I remember my little brother and I were swearing. Like, we had just kind of learned how to say, how to use fucking, like, as a word. <laughs> saying, like, fucking everything, right? And, like, Those I was were the days. Mm. eight and he that means he was six maybe five and my dad like fully sat us down and showed us a clip of the exorcist and was like when you swear the devil is inside of you and so i'm watching this little girl's head spin around on her on its neck and i was like oh shit damn yeah my dad deeply deep did some deep damage um yeah well what is your relationship with him now oh wonderful best it's ever been my dad is i'm actually uh, getting his uh, master's degree in spirituality right now. And so he is on a whole trip about full 180. Really, yeah. He's really trying to figure out the areas in his life where he feels like he failed as a man and how getting himself closer to understanding his spirituality and abandoning a lot of the more dogmatic elements of like the patriarchal church yeah. can wow. help him feel more liberated. And was, so, was there something that happened to, to make this click for him or is just a gradual thing that happened over time? Yeah, no, I think it's definitely about him being a grandfather, you know, mm. you, you know, you often hear like, there's this amazing bell hooks book that I, I'm not even kidding. I really do hope you guys both read it. It's called the will to change and it's about men. And, you know, one of the things she says in the book, 
um, is that oftentimes men are only allowed to be liberated from from basically these ideas of masculinity and these ideals when it's too late, like when they're ready to retire mm-hmm. or when they they're old and they've had a chance to look back on their life or after a tragic event. Mm-hmm. And I, on and, the I and it's funny. Yeah. And I, and I do see it with my dad. Like I remember, you know, he called me at, like after one of my other promotions and, and my media career and he called me and he was like, how is your, like, how is your partner? How is Darian doing with all of this? Are you, are you, there for him? Are you making sure that you guys are taking care of each other? And I was like, why are you asking me these questions? It is so weird. It was so unlike him. And he was just like, because I made a lot of mistakes when I was raising you and I should have been around more. And I, and and if I could take it all back, I would, I would do anything to have more time with you. Mm. Damn. It is very liberating, especially as a gay kid growing up with a very stereotypically masculine Tony Soprano kind of dad. It, I can't tell you the kinds of healing that I've been able to do as a man because my dad was willing and able to say those things to me. So I am very supportive of this journey, and he's also supportive of mine. And, and we still butt heads all the time. Like, trust me. Damn, like, that's that's a great story, though. I feel like that is uh, rare. You know that it turns around. It is around very like rare, that. and it shouldn't be rare, right? And so we have to be the the generation of men that changes that. I mean, I think even I mean, already dad, ahead I, of you. <laughs> My dad and I are fairly close, but he's definitely, he's definitely like just the, the mind is more open. Let me say that. And I think that's that, great, but I might be responsible for that in a subconscious way too. You know what I mean? Just because of what you expose your parents to, that's like not something they would be exposed to otherwise. Right. Um, you know, just culturally, obviously like when, when you came out, was it a big issue? It, it was an issue. Um, it was never, like I say, you know, lots of kids lose their homes and they, yeah. and they lose their financial stability after that. No, there was none of that for me. I was never worried about that. In fact, but it was like, uh, it was emotional warfare for sure. My, my mom wasn't speaking to me for a little bit. Um, and I had to see a Catholic therapist and mm. agree to attend church with my dad and, and, and enroll in like, you know, Catholic classes. How old, how old were you? Stuff. I was 14. That's pretty early, right? It's actually the median age of coming out for LGBTQ youth now. But at the time, I was the only um, 14-year-old gay person who I knew. And I was the only, when I would go to a large high school with about 2,000 students, I would be the only um, out gay student in the school. Yeah, I wonder what the... I, I don't think... At my high school, which is probably around the same, 15... I mean, it was in the South. I grew up in Atlanta. I don't... There was not an out gay student at my high school that I can remember. Right. Um, which I feel like that is not the case almost anywhere now, or am I wrong? No, I, I mean, I hope you're right. I, and, and so many kids are more emboldened, and it's, it's certainly easier to have the conversation about gayness now. I think we have hard work to do around the acceptance of trans and non-binary youth yeah. and how we support them. Um, and also the youth who don't fall so neatly into one category of gay or straight, but like who may identify as queer or pansexual or bisexual or however – Mm-hmm. Um, and have a hard time articulating that or having that understood um, by their by their families or loved ones. So, I mean, I do think I do think some of that stuff. The, the concepts are very difficult for like a you know fifty year old white man to understand. You know what I mean? And it might not even come from a bad place. It's just like I don't get it. You know? And that's yeah. The, I don't think the lack of understanding ever. I mean, I shouldn't say ever. It rarely comes from a bad place. It comes from a place of fear. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and that was certainly what I had to tackle with my parents. They were their exposure to gay people was their close friend who was from their childhood who was sent away to a conversion therapy camp and was electrocuted. You know, as a way to what? cure him. That was their exposure yeah. to homosexuality. So, like, and you know, my Jesus. dad has a gay brother who was, 
you know, anyways, I don't want to air his business, but he was not well treated by his own mother. And so it, yeah. it, it, there was this feeling that their son was going to be killed or was going to be hurt or was not going to have a quote unquote normal life. And I think mm-hmm. what a lot of parents and, and even siblings, because I have four siblings and really none of them understood how to be supportive in this moment. And I didn't have the wherewithal as a 14 year old to tell them how to support me. Right. But the right thing that you need to understand that everyone listening needs to understand is that if you have people at home who love you, you can make it. That's what the statistics show time and time again, you can get like we were saying to bring it all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, you could be bullied in school, but if you go home and you know, you are affirmed and loved for who you are by your parents, by Mm -hmm. your family unit, Kids are going to be, for the most part, okay. Damn. That, um, that is exactly my experience. Piece. That's exactly my experience. You know yeah. what I mean? So that I mean, or 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 have a very strong group of friends as well, perhaps. Yeah, support networks in general. How we find family, of course, especially as queer people, is expansive. So mm-hmm. we, be, you know, we we support and affirm our chosen families and, and our chosen support networks too. Why I, I just. I, I personally want to understand more about the stuff that's happening with the trans community or the black trans community and why it's so difficult. Um, sure. Like wh- I just, I, I guess it's, it just seems something that people are talking about quite a lot right now. Um, and, and I, and they seem, like you said, they, they seem to have a, a harder time um, than a lot of other communities. And I just, I want to understand why historically, why that's happening. Oh gosh! I mean, how much time do you have? No, no, I'm sure. No, no, I know. Give give me the cliff um, notes, but it's something that I have an understanding of, I think. But I'm sure I could learn yeah. more. Well, no, I really appreciate the question. I also definitely would encourage you guys to invite a black trans person onto the show. To, to we talk have about we've been looking we have been looking into it. My DMs have gone unanswered. So if you have any plugs, let me know. I have tons. For <laughs> okay, you. great. Tons. We've, we'd love to. We'd love to. So I mean, I think one of the things that we have to understand, you know, is that. I can talk about my experience as a white gay person and my experiences are different than that or maybe different than that of a black gay gay person, for example. Sure. And that's because of what we tend to all now know because of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is that people are treated differently based on the color of their skin. And that applies everywhere from economic inequalities to opportunities um, to how people are treated by law enforcement and our judicial system. Mm -hmm. So when you are a black woman, you are automatically you are treated not just about uh, you are treated not just differently because of the color of your skin, but also because of your gender, right? We know that black Mm -hmm. women are paid less to the dollar than white women who are paid less to the dollar than white men. Mm -hmm. So keeping all of that in mind, what we're, what I'm trying to illustrate is that there are compounded forms of violence that affect you. The more that your identities tend to intersect. So Mm -hmm. I'm a white gay man. So theoretically you guys, I'm like one seat away from the seat of power in America, right? Mm-hmm. And a black gay man is maybe a seat away from me. When we talk about women and we talk about transgender folks, you know, we're talking about the, these compounding areas of violence that are systemic and then they're also personal. Um, and so there's this great kind of framework that my friend, um, the activist Raquel Willis, published when um, I was the editor-in-chief of Out, and it's called um, How to End the Epidemic of Violence Against um, Black Trans Women. Because last year, in 2019, the American Medical Association actually declared an epidemic, an official epidemic of violence against Black trans women because of the sheer amount of murders that were happening of Black trans women across the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's complicated to explain 
why, you know, uh, yeah, like, yeah. violence happens because it, it has to do with everything from, you know, the criminalization of poverty to yeah. how we police people who don't fit into our perceived ideals of gender norms, what it means if you, if you look quote unquote, obviously trans or you quote unquote, do not pass and who is mm-hmm. going to harm you for walking down the street um, mm-hmm. to who is not going to accept you for a job because you don't quote unquote, look professional because mm-hmm. in their eyes, if you don't fit the perceived gender norms, you're not, su- you're not a suitable job candidate. Right. And so the, the, the systemic violence, it, it has so many roots and they're all so tangled. And the only way, you know, we really get to climb ourselves out of it is if we can acknowledge how to help at all of these different levels. How do we support organizations like the Okra Project, which provide food stability so that there are, there's food on someone's plate so that they can do their work? How do we support Kyan Dorshow of Glitz, right? So that we can support mm-hmm. sex workers to make sure that we are not just fighting to decriminalize sex work because many people end up in sex work and many people do sex work and they shouldn't be punished, you know, for doing that work and making that money in a system, especially that makes it impossible for people to make money and find opportunity otherwise. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Glitz is working to provide housing right now for black trans people who were just released from Rikers Island. Right. We need to abolish the prison industrial complex because black trans women are, are dying. And sometimes they're dying in men's prisons. And if they're not dying in men's prisons, they are like Leilene Polanco, who was, who died in solitary confinement because the prison guards thought that she was a threat to the security of the other women inmates at Rikers Island purely because she was a trans woman, right? We have to talk about abolishing the police because abolishing the police means that we abolish also the people who are enforcing these outdated laws that make that essentially make it to be to be criminal to be trans. And then we have to talk about economic opportunity, right? And how we build people up and how we effectively allow people to be more economically autonomous. And you know, it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. It goes to the the battle we just fought. And Chase Strangio, a trans man, just won that case at the Supreme Court. That employment discrimination, especially against trans people, is outlawed. Um, and that was a huge win for our community. Um, but really, like, this fight is so multi-pronged. And we need more people to be asking the questions, finding their own answers, donating out of their own pockets, and considering this an issue that directly affects them. Because... If black trans people are not liberated, then no one in our community, no one in our world is is liberated. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, that um was the very uh, well put, I, Philip. Yeah, that was the answer I needed. Uh, that explained it about as I mean, you know, piecing that together on Twitter is not going to be as easy for me. So asking directly seemed like the right move. Sure. No, and and I understand there. I get asked this question. Sorry for the background noise. I get asked this question a lot by white gay men who don't know where to start. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's great to be having this conversation with people who are outside of the community. And, you know, I hope it is the beginning of many, many conversations and also many charitable contributions that we could all be making. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Um, okay. Well, um, I think, I think we covered it all. Uh, <laughs> I think we did. All right, Philip, you, know. you know, squirrel jam has mold on it and that's about it. We forgot to talk about squirrel, but I feel like you don't really care about that that much. So, I, you know what? I, I've, I've been once, and I'm, I was so excited to get the jam, and now I'm reading about its mold. So, yeah, disappointing. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> a disappointing it's, cap to my LA experience. It's okay. You, you, you're not missing that much. Um, well, Philip, thank I mean, you so much. I saw you, I saw you tweeting about needing help with the bicycle, and I can help you out with that offline if you still need any assistance with that. 
I love that. Thank you so much. I would love any help with bicycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I encourage you to watch The Old Guard on Netflix. Absolutely Damn. will. As soon as my they, girlfriend is they, done with Nurse Jackie reruns, we're going to get right to that. Are they paying? Are you on the street team, Phil? Like, what's going on? I honestly, I love Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron could probably top me. I, it's like, <laughs> it's like a whole identity crisis about Charlize Theron right now. It's, it's a uh, lot Tell people where they can find you on, on the World Wide Web. Y'all can find me at P.S. Picardi on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find Unholier Than Now wherever you listen to podcasts. Great. Thanks, Phil. We'll talk Thanks, to you soon, guys. man. Thanks, Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.